GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for iOS, Android, Xamarin, and more. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Enjoy incredibly detailed error and crash diagnostics for every web and mobile programming language, plus performance monitoring to discover the biggest performance bottlenecks impacting your users. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. Head on over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and build better software. And make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. Uh, this one's just going to be uh, John and I today because we wanted to get a, a, a quick, timely update on on all the cool announcements that happened this week at, at Microsoft Connect and, and talk through them a little bit. Um, I'm guessing it's it's been busy for you recently, John. Yeah, it's been a bit of an interesting uh, lead up to it. I mean, as we kind of go through this stuff, you'll you'll see that uh, maybe my team's work this time around wasn't so uh, so up front and center, which is kind of nice, a little bit easier to kind of get through the the announcement, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a crazy week uh, in general at Microsoft, and it's kind of nice to see some of these things coming out that I've known a little bit about internally anyways and, and wanted to kind of talk about, but uh, haven't been able to. So yeah, it should be a good episode to go through some of these these new and exciting things in the Microsoft yeah. world anyway. Absolutely. So dealer's choice, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I mean, so we're, you know, obviously we're talking about uh, the Microsoft Connect event that just happened. Um, we're a couple days or a few days now, I guess, after the actual event happened. So probably users have, you know, listeners have generally seen some of the big news, but I think it'd be kind of cool to run through it and and maybe dive into a little bit of detail or as much as we can. I think um, it, it might be some of us kind of just asking each other back and forth to what we know about the subjects, because, you know, even, as much as uh, I would have hoped to know more about a lot of these subjects, it just, you know, you can't. You can't learn everything. So um, even I definitely don't know everything about all of that we're going to talk about. So um, yeah, and we can pick out some of our, our f- personal favorites from in here, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, starting off with that, I, I think one of the more interesting ones um, that I like to see was is .NET Core um, 3.0 was announced as a preview. And and sort of as a an aside to that, a little bit earlier and ahead of Connect, we, they also announced uh, .NET Standard 2.1. So those are two kind of really interesting progressions in the .NET ecosystem and in the .NET Core ecosystem. Um, have you done much with .NET Core yourself yet? Yeah, I mean, we, we use it a bit. Um, I try and use it for for all my kind of personal stuff, I even just for the performance increases that you get over, you know, full framework. Um, also, and then the, all the other obvious benefits like platform portability and, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But yeah, definitely a big, big fan of .NET Core here. Yeah, I think that's been one of the most interesting things is like now there's an actual tool like with mono and with with the, the desktop runtime before it was always like you could kind of do the cross platform thing. But this is like that truly, you know, you you type dot net and you do whatever and it just works everywhere. So kind of going back and forth between Windows and Mac and, you know, Linux, if you're so inclined and is not a big deal anymore. And I know for me, it's kind of funny because I, I tend to. I guess, shift from one platform as my main desktop machine to another every, oh, I don't know, five or, or eight years or something like that. So recently I've gone back to Windows from from being a Mac user generally. Uh, and, you know, I still live in both worlds, but my main driver now is, is Windows again. And so being able to kind of switch more seamlessly back and forth was was pretty interesting for me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like right here, um, I mean, I've got 
two two main machines here, like a Windows machine, uh, a Mac, um, my personal iMac kind of set up and ready to go. And then I run uh, Ubuntu uh, VMs and Windows subsystem for Linux. So pretty much all day, every day, I'm, I'm in a mixture of, of three totally different operating systems. And the fact that all this stuff just works everywhere really well is, is pretty sweet. So, you know, before we go into like .NET Core 3.0 a little bit more, because there's some, you know, there's some general like improvements and stuff in it, but there's also some bigger parts of it that, you know, we'll get to in a second. Um, let's back up a bit and just kind of go through net standard 2.1, uh, because that was announced, I believe, earlier in November. Um, so it's not, you know, necessarily new news, but I'm not sure if everyone will have caught up and seen what's all in it. So, um, you know, my uh, favorite thing has got to be the inclusion now of of span of type T. So basically that whole concept of of using span and, and kind of the performance gains that you get from it. Um, have you have you done anything in code with this yet? I know like it was a NuGet package before .NET standard, but now that it's part of sort of the whole that whole standard, it should be a little bit more accessible to everyone. Yeah, I haven't personally done a lot outside of just kind of tinkering with it and trying to learn the API and and learn what it's doing as part of memory management and all that sort of stuff. But it's definitely really, really exciting. Um, and even, uh, you know, even if you're not personally taking advantage of span of T or don't have any applications for it that you that you know of, the fact that it exists, um, you know, almost everyone's going to benefit from that anyway, because all sorts of API underlying libraries and APIs and all that are being completely rewritten to leverage span of T, you know, and away from all this uh, string allocation and, and things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of the libraries that you're using can probably get big performance and, and memory optimization gains just by switching over to, to span of T. And, and do you guys at, at Olo use uh, .NET in the backend at all? Yeah, I mean we're we're a total .NET shop. So I mean we're we're running full framework for most stuff. We're migrating more and more towards core where we can, um, and potentially away from Windows and saving money on Linux when we can as well. Um, so yeah, this stuff is is incredibly relevant to us. Yeah, I, I can imagine you know that might be like a, a a pretty big undertaking, but but also pretty fruitful to go through your code and, and kind of see where you can optimize with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can you can see um, you know this kind of bleeds into some of the the .NET Core three stuff as well. But like one of the new things that they announced recently um, and, and started introducing as part of .NET Core three is is some new JSON APIs. Where um, it, it's sort of just kind of set in stone now that JSON.NET isn't going to be you know isn't in a position to really rewrite all of their underlying stuff to, yeah. to leverage to move away from string allocation and um, and strings in general and move towards span of T. So for performance critical stuff, Microsoft started developing just a new JSON, their own sort of JSON interface and, and API based on span that should be a lot more performant and uh, and optimized. So I, I guess I kind of missed that one. Is that part of .NET Core? Is that part of .NET Standard at all? And like, is, is that meant to like do some simple like serialization stuff or what does that look like? I believe it's part of .NET Core three as of as of now. Um, I don't know that. I think it's still kind of in active development, so I don't know that it, it's in standard at this point. I would suspect at some point it would hit that. Um, but I think it was just you know it's sort of them you know the further and further that that, that Microsoft tries to push performance on on .NET Core, which is one of the real key things that they keep driving for. Um, things like and especially uh, you know in things like ASP.NET Core and, and web interfaces and all that. Um, you know, JSON being the sort of de facto uh, encoding for for sending things over the wire means that it's in the critical path for performance. 
So I think they just reached that point where they they had to start optimizing the hell out of the the JSON pipeline as well. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting because like that's JSON is so prevalent in everything everybody does. It's like that's that's the first thing that you reference is Newtonsoft.json right now, right? So um, to have that, that, especially just because that's so common, I mean that's an obvious target to improve performance on. So it's kind of nice to to see that happening. Even though you know I think well Newtonsoft.json finally became part of the uh the .net foundation too right which i know when i saw that i don't it, it was recently anyway i saw them thinking like oh i thought it was already in there because it, it would seem natural it would be but um yeah it's interesting yeah. to see that that uh that's an area of focus for sure yeah and and again it's one of those things where even you know you're still free to use json.net's not going away it's yeah. going to be maintained and and you know features added and and all that sort of stuff um but under the hood, you could still rely, you can take advantage of the fact that ASP.NET under the hood will be using these more optimized pipeline features and all that. So um, again, even if you never use the new, the new sort of built-in JSON APIs, you'll still get pretty pretty good rewards there. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, the, the whole span of T thing is like one of the bigger changes foundationally to happen to .NET in a while. So it's, it's kind of an interesting time. Um, you know, it's always something that you're you're kind of looking for as a .NET developer like what's the new cool thing that that we can improve things with so that's definitely one um they also there was also a couple other parts of that standard i mean, obviously that one was by far and large i think the biggest uh there's some simd stuff which you know i don't completely uh, get involved when, with it myself i mean it's just not the type of coding i do i know if you listen to uh you know like frank kruger talking about stuff that's something that uh, he's always interested in being able to do faster vector stuff so you know, that's always a good thing to see. It's kind of one of those like, oh, that's neat. I'll probably never use it, but um, I'm glad to see that you're you're doing something with it anyway. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, there's reflection emit was one of the other big things. So, which is also an interesting one because on, on platforms like uh, iOS, where we don't really have the ability to do reflection.emit, at least today, uh, the, the whole idea of that being part of net standard is probably helpful to a lot of people, but you still have to watch out what platforms you're you're running on. Yeah, there's always going to be gotchas there, but but it, for stuff that's sort of as as widely used as reflection, um, having it put into the standard and you know just just made a de facto thing across the board there is is a pretty nice to see. I think it even just makes it simpler from a, a dependency and library consumption perspective to know that you know oh I, I before maybe if a library optionally even used it, even if they kind of figured out at runtime where, what they were doing and and only optionally used it, you, you still mess up the whole being able to kind of be that .NET standard library if you're, if you're needing to use it. So this is kind of nice. I think it just means more stuff is, is simply .NET standard, and that's, uh, that's a good thing for the ecosystem. Exactly. So, you know, the, the other big part of uh, .NET Core 3 was being able to run UW, uh, sorry, WPF and WinForms type apps under the .NET Core runtime. Now, this one has kind of confused a lot of people, I think, because there's there's the camp of people that kind of are saying like, oh, well, that does that mean like that .NET framework is going away? You know, what's what's the story there for everyone? And and I'm curious to to hear your take on that too, because I I know my my thoughts have been kind of clouded with hearing people talk about it internally. Yeah, I mean, I I've, the the sort of the writing sort of been on the wall um, for a long time now. That right that that the path forward is. .NET Core, you know, regardless of what operating system you're running on, you should be trying to get your stuff 
you know, at little by little moving over there. And, and I can say that we're doing that. We have a lot of stuff to move. Um, and a lot of it's kind of difficult to move. So like one of, I've actually recently been putting together all sorts of project plans and tr trying to put like timelines in place of how we get all of our stuff onto core. Cause there's a lot, but, but I think it's pretty clear from Microsoft, um, you know, which is also backed up by every so often they, they drop a bomb of, you know, .NET Core version X will, won't run on, or like ASP.NET Core version X won't run on full framework. And they keep trying to like really, you know, find those forcing <laughs> function times. To, over. Yeah. yeah. So like, and, and that's happening. So it's pretty clear that, that, um, it's not that full framework, I think is going to, it's going to be around a, a very long time. There's going to be stuff, stuff running on it for a very long time, but um, the, I mean, the path forward for for all sorts of reasons is clearly core. Um, and if nothing else, uh, for sort of some portability, um, you know, isolation from other core projects that mm -hmm. that are on the same machine potentially, so you get a lot more predictable deployments. Um, and also just the performance gains that they're doing because they can do as part of core, they can make a lot of these changes that they'll never be able to backport into framework just because they're they're risky or potentially breaking changes and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I'm biased, obviously, but Microsoft has a pretty good uh, history of, of supporting legacy scenarios and stuff where, yeah, and that's, that's important in, in the business world and in the enterprise use case and everything too. So yeah, I think that, uh, that allows them to advance forward in, in a new way. Now I'm curious, you, you mentioned Oh, there's a lot of stuff that's maybe really hard to to kind of get over to .NET Core. Do you have anything like that stands out in mind as as a, a really big source of of kind of trouble getting moved over, or or is it just like the the fact that there's a a lot of stuff that you have and it all has to be moved over? It's it's a little bit of a mix. I mean, for stuff that I know, I know speaking for for our own stack, um, there there's certain dependencies that that we rely on that need to be made more portable. Um, some in our control, some out of our control. Um, some stuff that we do around, uh, point of sale transmissions and, and protocol stuff there, um, web service calls are kind of different in the, mm -hmm. the .NET standard .NET core world. Um, that stuff still exists, but we do, you know, we integrate with a lot of, you know, Azimex sort of like WSDL type services <laughs> yeah. and that stuff, that stuff, you know, it looks a little different in the new world. You could still do it. It's just different. Um, so, so there's a lot of like things like that, that well, we have to do to incrementally, uh, get to where we are, but I mean, it's not. Most of it's not crazy hard work for for the stuff that we're doing. Just, um, just kind and of then if there's anything work. that takes, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, it comes with some risk and, and all that too, but uh, definitely doable. Oh, okay, that that doesn't sound so bad as much as you know. Maybe uh, maybe it's time to get some interns in or something to help start porting some code over. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the other big thing, of course, as as part of the you know WPF and WinForms actually running on .NET Core is the fact that. Uh, those are now open source, which is kind of an interesting move. And and we even saw if you were watching the keynote, you know, Hanselman was merging some commits uh, live on stage, which uh, is is kind of funny to watch. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts around this. I haven't used WPF for a long time. I haven't used WinForms for a long time. Um, but uh, you know, certainly there's a lot of it out there, and I'm, I'm curious to see what this actually results in in terms of community around it, and if. You know, a lot of people are eager to kind of push stuff into into that repository. Yeah, yeah. I think I for one, it's just awesome that the stuff is open source now. Yeah. Like that, I know there's been a lot of push for a long time. Um, so it's really cool to see, like little by little, these major major pieces of of software from Microsoft just being put on GitHub and made open source. Um, and I did I did see a lot of sort of questions from folks of like, well, why should I even 
like why is running on WinForms on core a big deal? Like, you know, who's writing WinForms apps anymore, or at least who's writing new WinForms apps? Yeah. Um, I think for one, Microsoft has pretty definitively said like the statistics say people are writing a lot of new <laughs> yeah. WinForms apps and they're very productive in it. Um, but sort of going back to, to what I was saying before of being able to sort of this whole like lift and shift sort of thing, mm -hmm. right? Like if you have, I mean, there's a lot of applications that are already written in WinForms or WPF or whatever. And if you could take those and now run them on .NET Core and get sort of, you know, the side-by-side -side abilities there and the performance gains that I keep talking about, um, that's a pretty awesome win. Yeah. So so I think it, it is a, a much bigger deal than than some people give it credit for, I think. You know, like I still think back to the days where where that was like what you developed in just WinForms, right? And, and those were rather yeah. fun, productive, great programming days. Like I, I feel like, you know, there's, there's a whole... Um, bit of that history or culture like lost on on front end developers and everything now where it's like the problems that you were fighting weren't i mean your your applications look terrible compared to what they look like today but they were functional they were good they were useful yep <laughs> so yeah i mean that's kind of interesting to to see the the open sourcing one one thing that i know you know has always stuck with me is we've always talked at least you know on, on our teams that Open sourcing isn't just like throwing a bunch of code over the wall too. It's it's engaging the community around it. It's it's actually trying to look at uh, contributions that community members are making and and you know, kind of massaging those and steering the, those contributions into the right direction. And then even making the tough decisions about well, this thing might be useful to this one person, but it might not make sense for the entire community as a whole to adopt it. And I think that's neat too because that one person can always fork whatever they're using and add that feature and use it themselves. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bigger effort than, you know, of course, just throwing the code over the wall, which at, even itself would probably have been a, a useful thing to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. And you know, that there's going to be some crazy people that go out there and take that code base and are like WinForms on iOS or something like that. So um, I'm also excited to see any of, of those interesting uh, type of things spring up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I definitely am as well, and, and I think you touched on what what I think like the biggest one of the bigger deals is about this whole open sourcing thing is that it just shows that kind of continued commitment from Microsoft to actually you know you know embrace open source. Um, so so it's just nice to see you know more examples as the years go by of you know more pieces being made open source. You know the the improvements that they're making to the foundation and and all of that. So it's it's just really nice to see. Yeah, I mean uh, there will always be the the people who you know are waiting for the what was what was the old thing embrace uh, extend extinguish or something like that. So yeah, that's that's always the fun argument to read. And and you know it's 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 one of those things that I I was never a you know I wouldn't say I was ever a Microsoft uh, you know hater or anything like that before I I started working for them, but. Um, some people, no matter how hard you try, are, are inconvincible that, you know, we're not on this uh, really devious uh, path to trying to take down the software world somehow, some way. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's a it's an interesting thing to see happening internally and, and externally, too. Um, and, and, you know, part of the the whole .NET Core, the .NET standard stuff was the fact that we just started uh, talking about C Sharp 8 now, finally. Now. Um, what's your favorite feature coming from C Sharp 8? My favorite feature is, well, there's, there's a few things I really like in 8. Um, and I also just like that we're getting these iterations like pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's like fast. Yearly or whatever this is now, yeah. um, which is awesome. 
Um, and they keep borrowing more functional-ish and F-sharp-ish yes. type features, which is cool. Um, but, you know, and speaking of, like, the my favorite, if I had to pick one, is definitely the the sort of nullable stuff that they're, that they're adding, where you'd be able to annotate your code, have actual, you know, be able to say this should be nullable or this shouldn't be nullable, um, have it have the same defaults and have the compiler tell you if you have a lurking sort of null reference exception possibility and things like that. Um, again, coming from the F-sharp world where the only null reference exceptions you'll get are coming from .NET and C-sharp and not from your language. Like it just saves you from so many, you know, instances of shooting yourself in the foot or something. So I think that one for, for folks who can opt into it um, and having that be a default if when you're creating projects is, is going to save people a lot of bugs. And I think, you know, as, as somebody who um, doesn't spend a, or hasn't spent much time learning F-sharp and working with it, I, I also kind of feel like this might, you know, make me be able to approach F-sharp as a language a little bit more e- easily or get into that mindset uh, on some level a little bit more easily. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that as well. Um, but my my favorite is going to be a little bit of an odd one and maybe not so useful to so many people, but I'd have to pick default interface implementations as my favorite. And uh, so that's a controversial one. That one is a, it was very controversial and it's very weird. So in, in case, you know, you haven't been following along at home, basically, you know, once you've got a, an interface in .NET, that's pretty much it. That's That's what it is forever and ever. If you want to add more stuff to it, usually the, the method was, well, let's create a new interface and implement the old interface in it and add our new stuff to the new interface. Uh, and so now what we're able to do with C-sharp 8 is you can actually add new things, new members to your interfaces over time. But the caveat being when you do so, you've got to create some kind of default implementation of what's going to happen when this code gets called um, so that you know for, for consumers of that code that didn't know about those new changes, uh, this whole interface, this whole new thing, all these new new methods have something that makes sense to happen. So for, for us, um, for me in the Android world, that's um, going to be a, a pretty big helper because Java has something similar to now. And so we're starting to see some libraries come across where they've got you know in, in default interface implementations on the Java side, and that creates some problems for us in, in C-sharp. So this opens the door for us to do some more interesting things on, on Android and uh, potentially iOS too. Um, so it's that one's my favorite. Nice. Yeah, I, I like that you included that example, too, because I, I see this one get a lot of hate um, and I understand some of the hate for it. Like, I think you could it, this is one that could easily be abused. Oh, and yes, like totally just lead to really weird scenarios. But you could say that about pretty much any programming language <laughs> yeah. feature. But for scenarios exactly like the one you were just talking about, it can really help clean things up and make it easier to, to use and maintain and, and all that sort of thing, right? So like I, I think that's the crux of it to me. Like I don't see myself using it a whole lot, yeah. you know, probably sparingly, but in those cases where it is appropriate, it's going to be a big help. Yeah, and I think that's probably going to be the general guidance is like if you don't really know why you might need it, you, you probably don't need it. So, you know, you shouldn't be just using it because you can and which like you said that that's i think a lot of language features in in general have kind of come that way i mean if you look at c sharp you know even seven and now eight compared to what c sharp looked like in like the dot net 1.0 or 1.1 releases before we even had generics um you know it's a totally different world and it's been it's been really cool to see the language evolve and i mean i can't imagine missing some of the features that you know we have now even from some of the the seven dot series of, of c sharp specs so um 
I, I always think every time they release a new version, I'm thinking like, what are they, what can they possibly do next? That isn't going to be totally crazy and weird, but they keep, uh, they keep satisfying that, that question. So, um, any, any other favorites, any other things you like coming out of this one? I mean, there's a, a couple other ones we could touch on too. Yeah, I mean, there's like some syntactic nice things like, you know, range expressions and being able to just, you know, really nicely express those those sort of things. Um, I think one of my other favorites, just a syntactic sugar sort of thing is just switch expressions where, um, again, it, it's sort of a, a thing that you can do in pattern matching over on the F sharp side mm-hmm. or even in languages like... Um, like Python or whatever, where you can have conditionals that return something. So if you, if you want to, um, you know, return something from a, a, a pattern match or a switch statement, you could just do that really easily in line and assign that to a variable without having to go out to some other method that returns or create a local function or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was one of the main things I think missing from the initial release of C-sharp pattern matching to, to really fill in some of those gaps. Um, but they were able to do it in a way like it looks a little funny. Um, you know, it's not nearly as clean as it is in, in some other languages, but there's only so much they could really do yeah. in C sharp without breaking the language at this point. Um, but it should really go a long way to, to making pattern matching um, a little more, a little more elegant and, and useful in C sharp. Yeah, no, I, I think it's something that um, might encourage more of that usage than, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a big a fan of not wanting to make my code look super bloated or ugly when I'm working on some things. And then there's just cases where, you know, I'd run into something that's like, oh, I could use a switch, but man, that's so, so uh, verbose and, and bloated. I don't really want to do it. And this makes a, a lot of sense to kind of satisfy some of those cases. So, um, yeah, it makes switch a lot more useful yeah. than it would have been otherwise and gets rid of a lot of that noise for sure. Uh, did we miss anything else from, from C sharp eight? I know there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, it, the, the diminishing returns kind of, I think at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think those are the highlights. There's uh, async stream support. So, so they, there's also like little things like that where they keep kind of filling in, um, you know, little gaps where they, they didn't have what you, what you might call like a full implementation previously or like little places where you couldn't use async and i think c sharp 7 had the same sort of thing for like being able to await in a in a catch block oh yeah that's right little by little they keep like filling in some of these these little gaps which are definitely nice yeah i know and now the problem kind of becomes like when i'm writing code i i fall back into knowing the old kind of syntax and stuff i can use and not always remembering that like oh there's this new shiny thing i can be using that makes my code much nicer um so I know for me, every once in a while, I go back and kind of look at what the recent language spec additions were and, and think like, oh, where, where where am I not using this that I can be using this and making my code prettier? Well, that's where that new, uh, all the new IntelliCode stuff should come yes. in. Handy. Like so yeah. Ideally, the, the IDE would kind of nudge you towards the, the new and great way to do things, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, nice segue into, you know, VS 19 and VS for Mac 19 updates. Um so yeah, IntelliCode is is one of those big ones. Now there was a preview of this shipping out, and you could you can install it for VS twenty seventeen, um, and I hadn't really used it that much. I've just mostly seen demos and and everything. So like you know, we're really looking at using machine learning to give you the most kind of relevant contextual choices to what you're coding in your IntelliSense, and then even beyond that, like you're saying more looking at common patterns that, that other people are using and, and kind of in, informing you to maybe maybe change your codings to look more like this because it's a kind of a nicer way to do it. Um, now, the interesting thing I think about this is it's not always that 
it's even a nicer way to do it. It's it's with the machine learning. I got to figure it's it's more that you know this is a more common way of doing it. Perhaps um, like what are your what yeah. are your thoughts on on kind of informing coding decisions based on kind of just what's out there in the world because that's what we're training models on, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the you know this sort of goes back to some of what we talked about in that machine learning episode with Frank, where he actually was talking about developing literally this feature, mm-hmm. but on his own as part of continuous, right? Where um, you know, I think at the very least, having the a context aware IntelliSense makes sense. Like the you know IntelliSense has Intella in in the name, but it wasn't particularly intelligent. It literally just all it knows like, is whatever class you're talking about yeah, or something. Right? Everything like, sense, right? I mean. Yeah, it's it was like a slightly nicer autocomplete and and it's useful, but like at least, you know, the the sort of base level IntelliCode stuff is adding in context. So it knows, you know, if you're in an if statement, you're going to be doing certain things or if you're in, you know, uh, some other sort of block, it can sort of nudge you towards like the types of methods that make sense. So so I think that's, you know, going to be a a pretty nice win. Um, That doesn't really require machine learning. That's more sort of, you know, knowing the language and knowing language structure and and stuff. I do think there's a lot of room for for being able to know as long as you're training it on good code <laughs> yeah. um, and you know good practices and all that stuff. Um, like I, I think there's a there's a lot of room for being able to um, to do that sort of thing. So I, I'm interested to see how well it does. Um, like I think I mentioned in in that episode, uh, the machine learning episode. You know, the next step is just having it go scrape Stack Overflow for you, insert the code, <laughs> yes. and then you just hit F five and have have a company. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that I really like about it too. Um, you know, one being even like something as simple as like if I have a, a an object that I'm you know trying to use an instance of an object, just even seeing kind of what the most um, commonly used methods or members on that are for where I am is kind of interesting to me too, because there's always times when I'm, I'm coding with some object I'm not really familiar with that. I'm like, do I want the two string method here? Do I want this other method here? Like what, what's this going to really do for me? And to kind of see that, Oh, well, IntelliCode kind of thinks that probably I want one of these might inform my choices a little bit more or, or make me kind of have to go back up to uh, the documentation a little bit less often perhaps. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of interesting. Um, the other thing that's that's pretty cool is so they there's obviously a model that's been trained on a whole bunch of you know what what whoever's working on this has deemed as good good code bases, uh, but you can actually train new more models on your own code too. So you know you're able to basically throw this thing at all of your different code bases and start training models based on that, and then presumably that kind of uh, informs decisions based on more of your own coding style too, which I kind of like. So yeah, it'll, it's really, really interesting to see where this is going. I think this is the next step in kind of intelligent IDEs. Yeah, it's it's nice to see sort of real upgrades happening to the IDE too. Uh, I mean, they, you know, there's always incremental improvements, but it's cool to see some uh, a new sort of direction being put into these. And it's not just a slightly shinier code editor yeah. like that looks is not wildly different than what we had a decade ago right and and so there's a little bit of that too right there's like a new a new lighter theme um if you're into light themes and there's uh light themes are the new dark theme by the way just just so you know that's uh, that's where we're going I've, I've got that. my my <laughs> windows uh 10 insider preview light theme that's new so it's the, light is the new dark um so but anyway there's there's that there's um they they got rid of uh like sort of they condensed like the toolbar and the the menu bar into the top so you get a little bit more coding space 
um, you know, little little tweaks here and there. And then the other thing is like there's this push to kind of get you to your code faster. So when you open the IDE, um, they've changed, they've revamped this like new IDE experience so many times. And I think maybe they're on the track to getting it right now, where it's kind of like, well, most people work with code in some kind of source code management system nowadays. GitHub being the obvious first choice for most people. And so I think they're they're pushing in that direction to kind of make that experience easier. So it's not it's easier to go find your code, to go pull it down, to go open it up and that kind of thing. So yeah, you know, nice, nice improvements. I know the one that's not quite integrated yet into the previews for VS Mac is um they're bringing over the code editor from uh or they're making it native, they're bringing the code editor for for Visual Studio Windows, and then they're actually implementing it with all of the native Mac OS bits. So I know I've seen some previews of of kind of the base editor working and it's so nice. Like you don't realize how how much room there was for improvement, I guess, in the VS Mac code editor. Some people have, I guess, obviously, but seeing the the new code editor, it's it's just it's beautiful. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I think that's coming in one of the next previews. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's funny you say that too. I mean, if you think back, you know, for the, for some of us who remember, you know, Mono Develop and then Xamarin Studio and now Visual Studio for Mac. Um, and, you know, as Microsoft started to open source more stuff, even before the acquisition, like there was sort of a night and day change, even a few years ago in the, the editing experience in, uh, you know, what's now Visual Studio yeah. for Mac, right? Yeah. Um, so the, and, and it really was one of those things where, I mean, it was just a better story on windows and there was, there's a lot more power. It's just a lot nicer to use. So the fact that more and more of that stuff is, is coming over to the Mac, but still being done in a, in a native Mac way is, is pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it's, it's the best of both worlds. So, you know, I think that, uh, that sums up like the sort of the visual studio side that the language side of things, um, obviously I want to talk a little bit about the Xamarin side of things. Cause that's. That's kind of my uh, bread do we, and butter. Do we talk Xamarin here? Do we talk Xamarin? Do yeah, we do that on this occasionally. podcast? <laughs> I mean, there are some listeners that tolerate it. So, <laughs> all right. So, what do you guys? Been so, doing? you know, the, the the I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast. You know, we haven't been as front and center, and and that's been interesting to some people because there's always been that question of like, oh, are you guys? You know, is Xamarin still going to be a thing? Um, you know, like PR isn't really promoting it as much as they used to be, and you know, to tell you the truth of it we're working on making it a better stable faster experience product so you know it's it's kind of the the not really sexy part of of development where we're not in that um new startup mode where we're trying to build all sorts of new awesome features that blow everyone out of the water blow everyone's minds um now we're you know we're really focusing on the stability and and one of the big things has been on android side um so our build times and have you know stability of builds in general has really improved and that's something that's being really worked on and a lot of time being dedicated to so that's kind of nice to see and i'm you know i think a lot of users will really appreciate that obviously um so there's there's definitely that side of things and that's kind of that whole like why why there's nothing big and flashy coming out but the other cool thing that uh got announced is a, a preview for forms 4.0 so that's kind of be going to be the next big release of forms and you know, out of that, there were sort of two big things. One of them is this concept. And I think, you know, David Ortno, uh, the last time we had him on, he talked a little bit about the forms shell, the material shell experience. Um, so this is really just like a prescribed way, a very opinionated way to build your apps, different pages and components and kind of how to navigate between them. That applies to like pretty much every app that's out there. 
Hmm. Um, and and we've seen this trend from from like Google's doing the same thing. They're saying, oh, we have much more opinionated ways how to architect your app now. Um, so we're seeing them do that. iOS has kind of always been like that to some extent. And so that's that's this shell material shell thing. Material part of it is is the idea of, you know, we're starting allowing developers to have like your app to look the same on on both platforms, on both Android and iOS. And the first sort of incarnation of that is using the material design language. So, you know, you make your material, you opt into this in your app and your app kind of looks materially on both apps using the the actual native material controls on both on uh, both platforms. Um, so that's, you know, yeah, that's been coming. Yeah, I don't know what if you've played with that at all or. I haven't done a, a ton with it. Um, you know, I, I don't end up doing a, a ton with forms yeah. that much outside of a lot of like quick and demo apps and stuff, um, which actually is a pretty good, you know, those sorts of apps are a good use case for shell. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it'll say it'll save a lot of the mechanics of, you know, the quick things and things you want to do in every app, like you were saying. Um, it's I'll be I'm really interested personally to see where it goes and, you know, kind of like. Uh, what what bigger apps built on shell end up looking like as as this becomes more and more of a thing um and like you said we talked about it with david uh but it's you know as this develops it's probably worth doing a, a real dedicated episode on on yeah, shell sometimes so. it really is you know there's there's a lot packed into this shell thing right it's a pretty big yeah, thing and i know a lot of work has been going into it even like post connect there's been some some stuff happening that you know people are kind of going back and forth and, and trying to improve what that experience looks like. And so it's certainly not, you know, um, production quality release yet, but we're, we're working really hard on it internally. And I think it's going to going to make it uh, an interesting, uh, developer case. So, um, so, you know, that was one of the big things. And then the other big thing is, uh, what we're calling, I guess, collection view, which I think David might've spoken about that a bit too. Um, you know, basically the idea being that this whole list view thing from Xamarin forms, the, you know, the first version or the first versions of it, was something that has evolved on platforms since then. So on Android, we've got recycler views that weren't around when the original list view was made for for forms. And then on iOS, we do have the collection view. So there's some naming confusion there because collection view on forms isn't the same thing as iOS. But um, you know, we we went around internally trying to think of good names for it. And um, other than list view ex, you know, there weren't too many better options for naming. What do you name a thing that's like a collection of items that you can view? <laughs> well, a collection view. Yeah. So yeah, I the the sort of overlap with iOS is a little um, a little unfortunate, but yeah, it's they got the name right, so it's kind of tough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know that that's going to hopefully bring a lot better implementation and scrolling and, and different things. I know in, in the my pool app that I make, you know, that's one thing I'm eager to switch over to. Um, not that I find the list view particularly bad, but there's a couple little bugs and I'm, I'm kind of looking for a little bit more performance out of it too. So that'll be nice. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's the performance side and there's also just a lot of flexibility in there in terms of how the items get displayed, yeah. right? Like I think that's always been one of the the sort of, you know, going back to how iOS does collection views, right? Like there, it's sort of, you put the stuff in this list and then something else, some other aspect of the collection view controls how they're displayed so i know that there I re, if i recall right the blog post showed like a carousel view as an example or you know you could do it as grid or you know stack them in different ways and you know all that stuff ends up being separate then from the the data that's in yeah. there so that flexibility being built in is pretty nice yeah so I, I think those are you know more solid kind of incremental updates but there's there's stuff that's that's genuinely helpful and necessary um so you know that that's kind of what forms big thing was um for connect uh, and then the the 
project that I work a little bit more on, uh, Xamarin Essentials. Uh, not you know not a lot of new stuff there, but we did release uh, a 1.0 stable version, so you know everyone can go start bringing that into their production apps. And we've been really happy with the uptake on it. There's there's been a lot of downloads. A lot of people are using it, um, and you know generally uh, I think it's a pretty good experience. So this was kind of our our first pass, kind of knock off some of the easier APIs, and now. Now we're getting into the the meteor stuff, and if you you know if you follow the the open source repo, there's a lot of conversations going on a bit about like how do we do background tasks properly cross platform? How do we do um, you know in media picking cross platform properly? I mean, there's been plugins historically out there, and they generally work, but there's some edge cases that they don't fit so well into. So you know it's something that we're we're kind of taking the opportunity to go back to the drawing board and, and kind of reevaluate like how what's what is really the best way to do this what things can we learn from and uh do this right for developers so uh, there will be more interesting stuff going forward out of that one definitely um nice well at the very least congrats on the the 1.0 release i know a non-insignificant amount of work went into all yeah, that well and it's funny too how how much work went in beyond just the getting the features written like we did uh you know we'll, i can put a link to the the youtube uh, API review meeting we had with uh, some of the .NET team were, were nice enough to kind of go through an API review with us. And it's funny how much uh, thought goes into some of the smaller details that you you don't realize as a as a developer or a consumer of other libraries. So um, yeah. Yeah. API design is is hard and you can't change it. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the worst of it. Now we're, we're locked in with some things. So um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it from the Xamarin side of things. Like I said, you know, we're we're just chugging along, trying to make the experience better and better. And and there are some things that I know are being worked on that I I can't say too much about that are going to be even cooler coming out. So uh, we'll we'll get that new awesome shiny stuff here sooner or later. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and then I think you know we're we're covered most of the stuff. The the one interesting thing I think left that we haven't talked about is this whole um, edge thing that's happened. Now this one I didn't know anything about this. Uh, you know I had no inside knowledge of this going on, um, so it was kind of a shock to me too. But you know Edge is moving to Chromium, which is kind of interesting. Kind of have mixed feelings on it though. Yeah, I. I, I I, I would agree. I, I think I'm I'm mixed on my side, but I think I I mostly don't like it just because it's you know now there's even fewer variants or fewer engines out there doing something right. Exactly. You basically, just have Chromium that, um, and then WebKit, and I guess uh, Gecko from Mozilla. So like now there's just going to be like those three. Um, so so competition and and all that stuff is is nice, but but I guess there there just wasn't enough upside on on the Microsoft side to. To maintaining, to building and maintaining that, and always kind of seemingly lagging behind some of the other op, you know variants out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's there's definitely not an insignificant amount of effort that that goes into building that kind of thing, um, and then there still will be quite a bit of effort going into maintaining Edge as a Chromium based browser. I think too, um, you know, obviously that it makes some sense in, in allowing uh, Edge to to finally come to like Mac OS or you know, if you think about how browser engines work on on the mobile devices too, like you know, iOS generally like you're stuck with the the, the web views and stuff, right? So, um, at the very least, too, like Microsoft having Edge in those places, I feel like will make the experience a little bit or the the um, rendering compatibility a little bit more similar across platform too. If you consider the 
the mobile devices in the mix. So yeah, I definitely think there's, there's a good reason for the decision, but yeah, it's a little bit sad to see, like you said, that lack of, of options out there and lack of kind of competition. And, uh, you know, the fact that Google owns the Chromium project essentially is, is a little bit concerning. Um, but, uh, seems like that that was an eventuality at the very least. Yeah. Chromium little by little is eating the world. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I think, I think that pretty much sums up connect. Um, you know, we'll have lots of show notes and definitely some, some follow-up episodes probably dedicated to, to a few of these things. Um, and I definitely recommend everyone go check out like the keynotes are all definitely mm-hmm. worth watching. They're some pretty ridiculous demos, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, involving, you know, some Xamarin apps, some uh, Azure stuff, you know, scanning, literally taking a picture of a whiteboard and deploying Azure resources based on that. That was <laughs> yeah, an interesting like demo, kind of scary, but pretty cool at the same time. Um, and yeah, you know, con- and congrats again on uh, on a good Connect release from, from yeah, your side. Thanks. And uh, thanks as always to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.